So hello, this is Nick Holland with Information Security Media Group. I'm joined today by Aviva Leitan, uh, VP and Distinguished Analyst with Gartner. And we're going to talk about some of the initiatives that she thinks uh, are in the pipeline potentially for next year. Aviva's been focusing on blockchain initiatives around fraud prevention and identity management. And a word that keeps coming up, or a phrase that keeps coming up, is self-sovereign identity. So Aviva, firstly, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be yeah. here. Uh, and secondly, so just for myself and for our listeners' purposes, how do you define self-sovereign identity? Self-sovereign identity is a pretty cool term, and it is what it sounds like. So what it means is that I control my own identity online, so that means the data is mine. I don't share it with anyone unless I want to, and when I share it, I share it in a privacy-preserving manner, so theoretically... You can use technology that proves, let's say, I'm over 18, but doesn't disclose my date of birth. So it puts the consumer in charge of their identity. Only they can release the data. They've got the private key, and they can release the data in an anonymous way so they never have to disclose personal sensitive information. So let's say I share my driver's license with you, Nick. You're, let's say you're running a bar, right. and I want to prove that I'm over 18 so I can drink at your bar. So I come into your bar, and I decide to share my identity with you. But all you get is an assertion and a claim that, yes, I am over 18, according to the DMV, and now you know that, and there's a history that you validated my identity, that you relied on the DMV checking my identity, but all you know is that I'm over 18, you don't know my date of birth, and you know that the DMV said I'm over 18. If I decide that I don't want to do business with you, I never want to come back to your bar, I just won't come back to your bar. It's not like you have any personal information on me anyway. Got it. That's actually, that's very interesting. So it's, it's again, the, the least you need to know rather than everything you need to know. Exactly. And it's not stored in a big central database or even a small central database. Right now, data breaches exist because there's data to steal that's centrally aggregated. With decentralized identity, there's no central storage of data. Okay. So can you explain to me, again, how, how blockchain plays into this? So how, how does identity management on the blockchain work without getting completely... Uh, caught up with uh, having to explain the complexities of blockchain and, and so on and so forth. So blockchain is really not used for what I'm describing. It's a feature of blockchain that's used, which is called distributed ledger technology. And what distributed ledger technology enables is everybody gets a copy of the same database. So the bar has the same copy that the DMV has, that the Passport Bureau has. Everybody's got the same ledger of activity that took place. And those activity records are immutable, which means no one can ever change it. So there's no, remember, there's no personal data that's stored on the blockchain here or on the distributed ledger. That, that's the feature that's being used here. But there is a history that this identity was vetted at the bar and the driver's license issuer was the origin of identifying that identi 
identity. So there's a history of the transactions that took place, but it's all anonymized. So uh, it basically is a ledger of any immutable data that you want to store. And not everybody stores the same data. There's different identity schemes out there for self-sovereign identities. So they all do it a little differently. There's some that are gaining more traction than others. But all they use the blockchain distributed ledger technology for is storing the information that they want to keep as an audit trail. Some also use blockchain features called consensus. So I just talked about the distributed ledger technology. Some use consensus to validate transactions. So in other words, when I go into the bar and present my license, anonymous license information to you, we have witnesses saying that I'm doing that. These are electronic witnesses that are watching me go and you know, show my identity to you at the bar, and then they will validate, yes, this transaction occurred. It is valid. It is happening. This person did get their ID from the DMV. So you don't have to rely on any one person to say, yes, the Viva really is, a, is going into the bar and the DMV is the identity provider. You've got witnesses. That's what consensus is, witnesses to right. the transaction. So those are the two main features that blockchain enables, an audit trail of immutable data. And when the system uses consensus, it also uses consensus. Okay. So looking into our identity management crystal ball for next year and beyond, obviously at the end of 2018, what kind of things are we, you know, well, let, let's talk about the timeline. So what, I mean, what do you think we can expect next year? Obviously, this is in its very infancy at this point in time, but uh, yeah. where, where are well, we seeing this going? We've got a couple of substantial initiatives across globe. One is by a nonprofit called Sovereign, and that's right here in the U.S. It's Sovereign.org, and they've actually got an initiative going live in British Columbia, uh, some type of citizen services, actually business license services on the blockchain using, using these, the kind of scheme I talked about. So there's something like 6 million identities that could be using sovereign distributed ledger technology and blockchain features by the end of next year at a minimum both from the city of Vancouver and from Ontario. And that's significant because we don't see a lot of production yet. So, you know, once something goes into production, once a couple of states or provinces start moving ahead, others follow. We've got a lot of interest from different clients, especially state governments and other types of government agencies. And once this, these Canadian cities and provinces go into production, people for other company, other agencies rather feel more comfortable following suit. So I think we'll see that kind of move ahead. We're also seeing the UN issue an RFP asking companies to submit bids for digital identities for refugees. And that will have a big impact in what we call blockchain for good. It's already Decentralized self-sovereign identities also already being used by the UN with Syrian refugees in Jordan. Uh, so that program has been very successful. It establishes identity records for refugees that they've, they've left their countries of origin. They don't have any identity records. 
So the UN is interested in extending that beyond just that little pilot experiment. Even though it's in production, it was pretty much just a restricted use case. Right. We're also seeing big companies that manage lots of user identities, uh, namely Microsoft and MasterCard make announcements. Um, Microsoft has been one of the members of councils that get together and talk about decentralized identity standards. And they're going to try to move their customers into it, obviously voluntarily, but if you add up all their identities that they manage, whether it's on Azure Directory or through Outlook or Xbox, they won't give you the number, but I'm sure it's around a billion identities. And if you look at MasterCard, just announced a partnership with Microsoft, yeah, that could the two of them t together may get to one and a half billion identities. Now, I will say there's a lot of skepticism in the market if two big companies like Microsoft and MasterCard can be trusted to let consumers own their own identity um, and not, you know, not have entered any central authority there. But you know, I. It's open standards. You can see what's going on. And if they are moving into this direction, which they, especially Microsoft, has been moving, you know, believe it or not, they will move this way. And I think in the case of companies that don't sell identity data for advertising purposes or use it for advertising purposes, they probably will move ahead. And frankly, it's a good counter to companies like Google and Facebook that live off of consumer data that they collect for advertising purposes. Yeah. That's, so, an that's an interesting point. I mean, as this moves forward, that, that model of monetizing um, third-party information about in individuals is, is potentially choked off by this. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, Google and Facebook and other companies live on consumer data. They, you know, there's been so much written about that in the last few years as data is leaked by companies like Cambridge Analytica. But the reason they aggregate all that data is for advertising purposes, and they make money off of advertising purposes. So this new model totally turns that upside down. Now, it's really hard to turn upside down the power of Facebook and Google. And yeah, I mean, I was just going to ask, actually. I mean, it's it, that's all well and good that it sort of reverses the model, but it, it kind of, I, I would suspect that the genie's out of the bottle when you consider, that, you know, the, the, the PII that's, that's already out there. So I guess, how, 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 do you, how do you move from where we are to this future state? You know, how, what happens in that black box between, you know, arrow A going into sort of arrow B? Well, it's gradual, and the truth is, is advertising data needs to be current. So the kinds of things that I bought five years ago are very different than what I buy now. My lifestyles change, my personal situations change. So let's say I started using anonymized self-sovereign identity tomorrow, and you can already do that through browsers like the Brave browser that has a new advertising model. So let's say I decided I'm going to start using these services wherever I can. I don't use Google search. You know, I stop using Gmail. I don't use Facebook. Let's say I do that. And it, for me personally, I don't use Facebook, but I use search all the time. 
would be a little difficult, but there are other search engines. There's DuckDuckGo. I don't know right. if you've heard of that. I, I use it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I use it too, and I don't want to be tracked, and I should use it all the time. Say I, I just stop giving my data away. I think that over time, if people like me moved into this and you started getting you know, 50 million regular users that aren't giving data away, then the advertising model for those 50 million users looks very different. And you start seeing Google and Facebook maybe take a minor, minor, minor hit with 50 million users. But over time, they will have to start reacting to this need for consumers to protect their privacy. So yeah. they'll have to react. They probably won't react until there's 50 to 100 million users, maybe even more. But over time, you could see a gradual shift if consumers get fed up with all this data there is being breached and abused. Yeah. You kind of wonder, I mean, if, again, I wouldn't say Cambridge Analytica was the straw that broke the camel's back, but I think certainly mm -hmm. we're only maybe a, a couple more incidents from some some sort of tipping point, I think, in, in terms of people really wanting much better control of their identities and who accesses those. I don't know. I hope so, you know, <laughs> because I think this data gets abused way too often, but... You know, people that use social media aren't going to stop, and I think it'll be hard for them to to give it up. So yeah. that's the main issue. Yeah, again, weaning people off this is, is going to be a challenge. Well, Aviva, thank you so much. It's always great talking with you. Uh, again, Aviva Lightan, VP and Distinguished Analyst at Gartner. And for Information Security Media Group, I'm Nick Holland.